ever wanted to work in the gaming industry? He's here to tell you why that's a bad idea. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick. Today, we're going to be talking about two particular topics and with two different people at two different times. Well, isn't that a weird one? I, I, I say it all the Spitting time. Spitting plates. <laughs> uh, it's kind of my fault. I kind, of, I kind of messed up with scheduling some stuff, but other stuff was happening. It, it doesn't really matter. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, two particular topics. Is um, The GDC, the Game Developers Conference, released their uh, State of the Industry 2017 survey report. And uh, something that struck me as very interesting was the announcement of uh, Francis Ford Coppola started a Kickstarter for an Apocalypse Now-based video game. I, it just sounds fascinating to me. And to start off talking with the, uh, to talk about this with me is uh, fellow enthusiast, uh, Baron Fang. Jeff, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Nick? I'm Okay. So let's start talking about the uh, the survey here. There's a few yeah. interesting things. Um, let's just kind of go over some of the high points here. Uh, uh, the report itself has several sort of conclusions they draw. And for methodology, it's it's an email survey. They, like, send it out to you. Uh, mm-hmm. You hit a link, you go there, and you fill out the survey. I filled out one, so I remember a lot of the questions. Uh, oh. And... Um, they just collate the results. And this isn't like a scientific analysis survey. This is actually a, a survey survey. It's not even like scientific polling or anything. It's all online based on participation. There's no control group or anything. And one of the reason, one of the reasons I kind of point out that first thing, uh, about survey respondents, most survey respondents hail from North America or Europe. Uh, 67% of respondents said they come from North America, followed by 22% from Europe, only 8% from Asia, 3% South America. Well, that's not kind of, that's not too surprising considering the main GDC, the main game developers conference is in San Francisco, so it's probably going to be a North American centric thing. Mm, Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, some of the other, uh, most interesting charts they have were which platforms are you currently developing games for? Uh, smartphone platforms you're making games for, a question about the mid-cycle console refresh, the Xbox One Scorpio and PS4 Pro. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, virtual reality and AR devices. Yeah, I was surprised how much that came up, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you filled this one? Have you participated in previous years? I don't think so. I might have. I honestly didn't commit yeah. participation to memory, so... I, I was going to ask you if this if this list of questions evolves a lot year to year. Like, do they try and stay topical? Like, to me, this VR stuff seems very au courant, whereas I wonder if last year and the year before there would have been as much uh, focus on VR on this thing. Um, well, I mean, for certainly not like five years ago, but for the past mm-hmm. several years, uh, VR has had a pretty in, – in like the uh, GDC convention uh, uh, floor demos – uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's been a pretty big thing. Like the Oculus Rift and the, the, uh, Sony used to be called Project Morpheus, what became yeah. PlayStation VR. They, they were really big displays and they had those, uh, if you look up the old, um, behind the line article for GDC, there was this big freaking, 
uh, set up with people on those sort of treadmill things so they can run around and like shoot stuff and with their VR helmets on, you can kind of see what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, that display has gotten more elaborate every year for the past like three or four years. So, yeah. I mean, this isn't a new topic. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at there. Okay. Uh, I'm sure, of course, they weren't asking, uh, about VR, you know, eight, ten years ago. <laughs> so, uh, I would say definitely the, um, uh, the questions do change. On top of which, I would not have a whole lot of, I don't know if faith is the right word. I wouldn't expect the, uh, uh, organization that, that doesn't exactly have the most solid award categories to keep their survey <laughs> questions consistent year to year. Yeah. I really would like to see some more consistency in those awards or, uh, uh, award categories, but, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens when the, the award show actually happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely there, there's a lot of, uh, the, the question, they don't exactly give you all of the questions in this report. A lot of it is sort of the conclusions they draw. Like they don't mm-hmm. even give a chart about, uh, uh, self-funding versus Kickstarters versus publisher stuff. They don't give you the breakdown of what people responded to in a nice, neat looking chart form with a whole bunch of colors. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, they do give you some, some information there about how, um, a lot of respondents, uh, what was it? Well, Only the, a, well the, the, the dominance of self-funding uh, in particular was, uh, an interesting one that caught, right. kind of caught my eye how that still is such a, a large category, uh, a large proportion of that category. And that's where, that's where you can say this is an interesting survey, but not necessarily a scientific one because probably a lot of indie people are involved with this. Yeah. Uh, like a whole bunch of people at EA may not exactly be, uh, yeah. spending time on this. So mm-hmm. you, you have to take, we have no way of verifying the, the source sample. And to me, when I, that three to six years thing, I, I don't, mm. I don't know if this, uh, makes sense to you, but when I read that three to six years average time in the industry, to me, that seemed, I don't know that I don't know this for a fact. I don't work in the industry, but to me that seems skewed towards an awful lot of people who've been in the industry for a relatively short period of time. At least well, that's what it's the, the impression I got. Yeah. So the question there is how long have people been working in the industry? And the highest percentage, 37% said they've been working three to six years with seven to 10 years getting 17% and 13% saying only one to two years. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I noticed is, well, generally speaking, yeah, you can be in the, the industry for one or two years and maybe you don't like it. Uh, mm. Chances are the longer you're in the industry, one, the more chance you're going to have that, that you're going to participate in the survey. And two, yeah. the greater chances you're going to burn out. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're not this is a rough industry and it's not uh, it's not geared for everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's, it's, it's kind of interesting, but I, I, th- when I saw that, it, it kind of sounded like, oh, it, it, this, this sounds like it says most people are experienced, but not like long in the tooth. And what I'm thinking mm-hmm. is there, there's a weaning process going on here more than anything yeah. else. Or, or a giving up and moving on <laughs> process as well as, I assume. Yeah. Or like I've, I've given what I can and now I need to make more money in enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was my passion project and I'm done. Now I've had a kid and I need to, you know, 
see them once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The Okay. And, and this is something that I'm sure is going to come up with uh, Lorenzo. And we're probably going to talk about this for a bit. But uh, the uh, one of the questions was, which platforms are you currently developing games for? And mm. uh, which smartphone platforms uh, are is your company currently making games for? So for the first one, uh, not surprisingly, you know, Mac, huge, or not just Mac, PC and Mac, so desktop one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, and then smartphones, and then what was the next one is uh, PlayStation 4, mm-hmm. and then VR headsets, and then the Xbox One. Yeah, which, that was a bit surprising. <laughs> first of all, that's that's kind of interesting, but this is the one that really stuck out to me. And I'm not even talking about Apple Watch at 0.8%. I don't know who's developing a game for the <laughs> Apple Watch. but um, The PlayStation Vita had 2%, and the PlayStation Portable had 0.4%. Yeah. Now, <laughs> this this in turn is why I think that there's a lot of indie people on here, because that, that really seems like um, those people who still develop games for the Dreamcast... Or, you know, Doom for the Atari 2600. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, but lo- it, the lonely few. <laughs> uh, smartphones and tablets being in second doesn't surprise me because it, it really, if you look at it, uh, uh, it seems to, aside from like the VR versus Xbox One uh, split, this really seems to go uh, uh, the more ubiquitous and the lower cost of entry that you have the more support it gets. Mm-hmm. So yep. you got PCs with uh, with pretty much no required licensing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that gets a lot of support. It's also easy to develop for, yep. uh, relatively yeah, speaking. Uh, yeah. Smartphones and tablets, very ubiquitous. Yeah. Uh, I think also a lot of people go into that, even in the industry, thinking, oh, you just make it free to play and you make money. It's not. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, yeah. But then you... They assume it's easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, free to play business is hard. Yeah. Um, but then the, uh, you start getting into the consoles where the developers have to pay licensing. Mm-hmm. And that, they start to drop off a lot there. Yeah. Um, let's see. The, the Wii with 0.4%, the Wii U with 2%, uh, Nintendo 3DS with 1%. One, yeah. That's and... a little surprising. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's a very successful platform in its own way, but it must be just dominated by in-house uh, N- Nintendo. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Or, it's a modern Nintendo system. Or it's or, the same few. <laughs> yeah, it's the same few, it. or it's, uh, oh, God, how much of its library was made by Vicarious Visions? I don't know. Um, what about but, Atlas? Would they be well represented? <laughs> okay. Again, so would that be a lot of foreign people who just didn't participate in the survey? Mm. Or is it, you know, one or two places do a lot of it? So that that just kind of goes to show how, oh, my God, I just noticed Android Micro Console has 3%. <laughs> so, that, see, I was going to ask you that. What, is that. what does that mean? Like, is, um, that, is that a different platform? Like the Ouya is a micro console or set-top oh. boxes like Roku. Okay, all right. Or yeah, that's... Android TV or okay. Apple TV would be an iOS micro console. Right. Man, are people still developing for the Ouya? I feel bad. I was really surprised the other day when I was playing um, 
I played through that Dragon Cancer and saw that it was sponsored by Ouya, and I'm like, oh my god, this might be the most successful thing associated with that name. <laughs> yeah, and Apple TV's got 4%, so yeah, I'm, oh, I'm kind of surprised between the two of them, they represent 7% of the market, that's... Uh... Well, that's that's not um, that's not seven percent. These won't add up to a hundred percent. Oh, I'm so, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Uh, how, ma- how many? How many, perc- how many percent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one person could reply and say yes to all of these. It's just of the people who responded, like fifty-three percent said Mac or PC. Yeah. <laughs> and thirteen percent said they're not involved in development at all. Which? Well, how? How are you in this? <laughs> How are you on this list and just responding to this survey if you're not in development at all? Well, I mean, technically, I'm not involved in development. I'm in yeah, QA at a publisher, right. or if you're yeah. in marketing, or if you're an external art agency, or like a voice actor or something. Okay, so that doesn't. Okay, so this this survey captures a lot of people who aren't necessarily hands on. Then I, I yeah. thought it was more like trench level people that were. Well, responding. I mean, that's and that's one of the things is uh, uh, there's. It's a surprisingly small industry, but there's more people who work on on projects in more capacities than you might expect. Mm. Yeah. But the other one that I mentioned here, the which smartphone platforms are you, is your company currently making games for? Unsurprisingly, the three top answers are Android, iOS, and none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the surprising one here is that Android actually overtook iOS. Which... Yeah, and I was wondering, is there any? I mean, maybe this is a really complicated answer, but can you? Is there? Do you have any insight into why it would be that now Android has has shot ahead? Is is there, or is there a simple answer for that? Um, I have a couple of conjectures. Mm. Uh, one is that, well, one is more of an observation than one conjecture. One, the observation that why it's surprising that Android would be higher than iOS. Uh, uh, I would expect iOS to be higher because iOS has tighter security. Mm-hmm. So if, say, you didn't want to make your game free to play, you didn't want to tie it to a server, you didn't want to maintain the server, you just fire and forget. You know, mm-hmm. paid download. Yes. Yeah. Uh, security on iOS for that is way tighter than on Android. Yeah. So you have to do weird stuff to secure it on Android because mm-hmm. iOS... And this might be the double-edged sword that explains why uh, Android gets more popular. Um, iOS provisioning is a massive pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. One of uh, one of the guys I, I so. work with described it as uh, black magic and voodoo. Like those, <laughs> he said you could tell it was getting better because those terms showed up less often in the developers' forums. <laughs> Um, but because it's such a pain in the ass, uh, Android is much easier to, um, deploy on. Not necessarily, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about develop for, although I've heard bad stuff about, uh, supported iOS languages. I'm not much of a programmer myself, but, uh, it really seems like Android is way easier to get stuff out to the public on. So you mm-hmm. could say, I'm going to start developing on Android and when that one works, if it looks like it'll, you know, actually make money, you can start act, uh, setting it up to release to higher, um, higher value customers on iOS or a higher value market on iOS. But if it, okay. if it isn't that good, then you can just cut it and cut your losses. Right. Hmm. But uh, the the big surprising one on this, 
PlayStation Mobile, 2%. 2%. (laughs) Do you remember PlayStation Mobile? Do you remember what that is? No, honestly, I I heard the name come up a few years ago. I couldn't even tell you how many. Okay. And I don't even know in what context, and I haven't heard of it since I looked at this survey. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. Um, The PlayStation Mobile is a sort of PlayStation-branded cell phone game platform and set of standards. Uh, You may recall there was um, the uh, Sony, uh, was it Xperia Playphone? Way back when. Vaguely, vaguely, yeah. yeah. It it looked very slightly like uh, PSP Go or something. Uh, And it actually had the the PlayStation uh, Triangle Square Circle X logos on it. Okay. (laughs) And this was designed to connect to a Sony PlayStation branded storefront. So it'd be like not the Google Play Games Store or it was something else back then. But... uh, you would you would be able to it was I think it was supposed to be you'd have a fairly high performing device. I mean devices have have long outstripped <laughs> this thing's capacity since then. But, yeah, yeah, because this is like a five year old phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, although it actually did have uh, an L button, an R button, a D pad, the the square circle X um, triangle <laughs> buttons, and analog touch uh, sensors. So. Jeez. It actually had the interface of like a, a, a PSP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, so that was pretty neat. Um, but it never really took off. And to give you an idea of how badly it didn't take off, <laughs> I was in the mobile sector since before this existed, mm-hmm. and I have never touched it. <laughs> Ever. Wow. Like, no I one... Is, I, I have never been involved in any conversation that ever considered touching this. Wow. Um, but they had some developer support, and it was a thing, and it, because they didn't have to have too much invested in keeping it up, it only shut down like a year or two ago. But <laughs> it shut down a year or two ago. It doesn't and, exist and, anymore. And it's still so back to the... the how do you have 2% of people supporting this? Uh, I saw yeah, that. It's like question. that was the biggest what the hell thing am I looking at here? Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, maybe next year it'll be down to zero. <laughs> I, either that or like somebody really needs to be told something. But this was a multiple choice thing. Yeah. How did? I don't know how that works. I mean, six percent on Windows Phone. I mean, I think they're making a big mistake, but I, I'm not yeah. surprised. Yeah. I mean, it says the word "currently" up there, so yeah. it's, not, it's not like it could be "did" work on that. Yeah. It's pretty clear or, what they're over asking. the course of this year. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're uh-huh. just homebrew hackers or something. I mean, that one I can get, but two percent mm. then, even then. Yeah. And okay, and the next. The next pretty interesting question here, and uh, I, I'd be interested in hearing your take on on this answer, uh, mm. is the um, what are game makers? What do they think about the? Um, I'll just read the question as it's written. Has the mid-cycle console refresh Xbox Xbox One Scorpio slash PS4 Pro been received positively, negatively, or neutrally at your studio? Awful lot of people neutral or don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Awful lot. Uh, which to me kind of says that uh, the people at Microsoft and Sony have not really done a good job in sort of 
uh, I don't know if evangelizing is the right word, but sort of explaining what the point of these uh, um, hardware improvements are or why someone should be ex- excited about them. It, th- these are the people who you would think would have the most – should have the most understanding of it, and most of them either don't really care or don't know at all. That's That seems kind of odd. Like they've obviously spent some time and money on making this decision to do a midlife console refresh and – you know, over seventy percent. Over what? What does that add up to? Seventy, seventy-seven percent of them. Seventy-seven percent. Yeah. Yeah, seventy-seven percent are either uninvested or don't know. I that to me that I mean, does the general pub would the general public answer much differently to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, odd. that's uh, that's one of the things. Unless it's, I mean, when I first heard about it, it just made me think of the. Um, uh, God, I don't even remember what it's called. So I'm just gonna call it a power pack. That that expansion port thing for the Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's the little plug and play thing. Not bad. I mean, yeah, it's um, clearly people don't exactly know what to make of or do with this. Mm. Uh, at least in any sense of is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And uh, my fr- my first reaction, and and this is I, I this is still what I think. And it hasn't been disproven, although I don't exactly have a whole lot of evidence to support it other than some a- anecdotal uh, conversational stuff, mm. is that apparently in this uh, mid-cycle refresh, the main thing they did was kind of double the graphical processing power. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you're supporting two screens? Yeah. One for each eyeball? <laughs> so... It's just a, it, it seems like it's just something to help uh, VR out there. I guess, yeah. That's that's my best guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see Sony being that they are also a, a a TV manufacturer having an interest in pushing, you know, those higher fidelity capabilities and screens. I suppose, but yeah. uh, some of the some of the other stuff that they've improved with with it uh i i have to wonder why people aren't clear on <laughs> why it's good and why it isn't for them uh, at least people that are this close to the development side of things or in it yeah or, and that's uh, one of the other tricks like you said evangelizing their own thing there there's got to be a point where you can display that killer <coughs> app and that was one of the we use big problems was that they never were able to say look this is what you can do with this because i think that the idea still has potential just no one ever used it Hell, I think the Wii still has a whole bunch of potential that no one ever really used, and that's why I keep showing that video of the guy who made a head tracker on a Wii. Oh yeah, God. I remember th- that. How old's that video? Four or five years now? Oh God, that that's like ten Older? years old. Yeah, that happened I, not long after the Wii came out. Yeah, I remember being blown away by that and thinking, "Wow, someone's going to do something with this." And <laughs> it's just kind of amazing to me that r- really it hasn't been. Uh, I don't think anyone's really ran with that. For, uh, mm. and you, you would you would think, given that somebody with you know tape and <laughs> and and uh, rev- I don't know, sort of uh, ghetto reverse engineering ability <laughs> was able to do something that nifty, but uh, yeah, <laughs> mm. an untapped uh, potent- untapped potential there for sure. Yeah, and uh, let's see here. Next was uh, and that there didn't have any nifty charts for this one was the uh, uh generally people are feeling optimistic about the switch mm-hmm. um and although the 
they gauged that because a lot of people thought it would outsell the Wii U, which is a, a, such a low bar. Yeah, that's I kind mean, of a low on. bar to be making that observation <laughs> on. So that question isn't really worth too much. And and yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised more than 50% of people didn't. Like, who who doesn't <laughs> assume it's going to sell more? I, I think the other thing about it is it's just so different that people aren't exactly sure what to make of it. Yeah. Yeah. Or their marketing strategy. Some people seem a little confused by that, but I, I uh, we'll see. There's nothing yeah. else we can do but wait and see. Yeah. Uh, then there's a question here about uh, what, what the most popular VR or AR platform is among devs, and, uh, well... I'm not exactly sure what to make any of this, so I'll just read out the numbers. Uh, Cast AR at 0.58%, and I've never heard of it, so that's not surprising. <laughs> Gear VR, Samsung slash Oculus at 13%. Okay, Samsung's mm. going to be in a HoloLens at Microsoft, 6%. Microsoft has trouble getting traction on stuff these days, it seems. Yeah. Um, the HTC Vive with 24% is the leader. Oculus yeah. Rift came in at second place with 23%. Sony yeah. PlayStation VR at a respectable 13% uh, alongside Gear VR there. And Google Cardboards and Google J-Dream are each at 8%. And I'm huh. not sure why those were separate entries. Yeah, why? Sure they're just the same thing. Are, are more they just or less variations the on the, uh, like the I, th I think the Daydream has an added controller and just a more – like the cardboard, for anyone who doesn't know, the Google Cardboard is just this little thing you stick your – uh, phone into and it has a little stuff to help your eyes focus on a screen that that's close and give you some panoramic effect so you can see things in 3D. Yeah. And you have to hold it to your face. The daydream is actually, you don't make it yourself out of cardboard for one thing. Yeah. And uh, uh, it has a strap to hold to your face and a controller that goes with it, but it's more or less the same thing. Yeah. So despite being the most expensive one on the list by a country mile, the HTC Vive is uh, is is in number one. So well, maybe hmm. it's just because you get what you pay for. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I, I guess I'm with you. I'm not really surprised about Microsoft and this stuff. They just uh, they do seem to have trouble with uh, peripherals and getting people on board mm. and the, on, the, uh, on their platforms. Yeah. And the difference was even bigger when you're asking about uh, what your um, what are you most interested in developing on the HTC Vive was way higher. Probably mm -hmm. as a, 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 this is probably kind of indicative of generally a shift in momentum away from the Oculus Rift and towards the Vive. Mm -hmm. um, the, the PlayStation VR is, is a respectable one in there too at uh, 29%. And the Hollow, actually, this is kind of surprising. The HoloLens, while only uh, 5% on, uh, on, on uh, the, the other one, see, is 24% uh, in what you're interested in. Yeah. So maybe maybe they have some some back end business deals going on. Yeah. Maybe there's some hope there. Huh. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see here. And here here's another the the last one uh, I think we'll get to for now is um, uh, when it comes to the number one way of uh, promoting games, platform storefronts still seem to be on top, and Twitch streamers are on the bottom, and uh, that is correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Twitch streamers, they can get your stuff out there, but it's such an ephemeral thing, it doesn't have any staying power. Uh, yeah. Really, it's the storefronts that surface something and let you know something's out there. It's just like yeah. it was getting stuff on uh, store shelves back in yeah. the day. Yeah, it's it's the new it's the new store shelf exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm mildly surprised that paid advertising is second from the bottom in this. I wish they had some numbers to go with these charts, but uh, yeah. YouTube videos did better. Uh, traditional press and blockers, your press releases. Interesting. 
Yeah, maybe maybe part of the reason paid advertising is down is because it's harder for people to understand where their dollars are going. Either you know, that may, or maybe it's that it's just a more crowded field these days. Paid advertising gets expensive. Actually, it would make sense because if you have people working on your advertising that aren't particularly good at it or don't have good channels to get your advertising out to or don't have good analytics on who to target. Mm-hmm. So their cash per install is way too high. Then mm-hmm. yeah, that won't work. You're going to want to do these uh, social media uh, the number two and three community fan social media or developer social media those are cheap hmm. so that makes uh, sense I find it weird that traditional press and bloggers are lumped in together <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't you like don't those seem like very, like really arbitrary putting those two <laughs> next to one another these days to me to me they seem like diametrically opposed in a lot of ways but... I, I think uh, I think they're they're talking less the um, uh, bloggers like stuff that we would do and more like bloggers like uh, uh, this is the uh, um, your professional bloggers. Your, uh, oh, okay. Um, I don't know, Rock, Paper, Shotgun or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Android Authority or what have yeah. you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So uh, did anything else from this survey really stick out to you? <sighs> Just, um, I mean, the, the the fact that crowdfunding was down didn't surprise me. Do, do you think it's just basically from scandals and people seeing that people have been stung by it and thinking that eh, this there's diminishing returns here? It 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 was the golden goose for a while, but we we can't we we can't rely on this. We can't over rely on this particular channel of of funding and. Need to yeah, I th- get away I think, from that for a while. I, I think it's uh, we're exiting that sort of dream stage or the halcyon days of, of <laughs> looking at it like, oh, this is just the solution. It's like, no, yeah. no. Uh, you can't put everything out there. You can't just have a Kickstarter and have no backup plan. Uh, yeah. You, uh, it's not just free money. Um, all kinds of things like that. So there's a lot more. People realize that if you're going to have a crowdfunding campaign, you have to have a lot more thought and prep put into it. You have your discoverability has to be high. Your yeah. marketing, you have to market your crowdfunding campaign. I mean, it is a yep. campaign yep. to to invest. And you know, now that it, the consumers know that you know you can't be guaranteed that you're going to get what you're investing in because it's an investment. It's it's a risk. You know. Yeah. Um. Might be a nice segue into our next topic. Actually. Oh yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, but because it's a risk, you know, you don't have uh, everyone, everyone in development saying, "Oh, we can just put together a Kickstarter and, and blah blah blah." It's more like it's become like the reality of it has surfaced enough that people who are bad at it or people who are dishonest about it uh, have a harder time justifying mm. the effort of trying because they're probably just never going to get their money. Yeah, yeah. But yes, the next topic, uh, the uh, Apocalypse Now movie game. Now, yeah. I when I when I saw this, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain my my first thought. Uh, my my first thought was, oh God, please don't be Call of Duty <laughs> or, or some standard <laughs> yeah. military shooter. That, and isn't it isn't it amazing how many times in the video they they like totally smacked that on the head because they knew that that's what you were going to think. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's totally justified. But, uh, uh, my kind of my second thought would be, uh, when, when I saw it is, wow. 
and, and but it has Francis Ford Coppola involved and all this stuff. It's like interesting. Apocalypse Now is a seriously trippy movie. I wonder what they could do with the game. And then yeah. my third thought is, well, we kind of already had Apocalypse Now the game, and it was called Spec Ops: The Line. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, it was Vietnam, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it it was Heart of Darkness. Yeah, I guess um, you're right. But uh, I mean, Spec Ops: The Line was pretty fascinating. I I look I I hold that one up as a pretty good example of what you can do in, with storytelling in a video game because you got a it's a first person game, so you're the yeah. narrator and you have an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, want to know what my first thought when I saw it was? Hmm. <laughs> well, Coppola has actually uh, got a reputation as being a bit of a practical joker. Years okay. ago, he actually agreed to be involved in this fake documentary called "The Dark Side of the Moon," where the it was it was uh, basically tagging up on the whole conspiracy theory that he had provi- that uh, he he was involved in faking the moon landing. <laughs> Oh, and you, if you, I've actually seen the documentary, and like about ninety-eight percent of the way through it, it you realize it's a joke, yeah. <laughs> and Coppola has has been in on it for the purposes of the, of making the documentary. And I actually had the thought of, what if he's just kidding? <laughs> what what if like I kept I was looking to see if April first was somewhere on the page as like a a key milestone date or something. Because and then when I realized you know all the the pedigree of the guys that are working on it, like your you know people from Fallout New Vegas and Wasteland Two, Far Cry, etc. And I realized okay yeah this is not just Coppola being playful with his IP, but uh, yeah it, I did for a for a minute think yeah this might be a gag. <laughs> yeah I think I think for. I mean, I don't, I don't know him as a person too much, and I, I didn't know that uh, that particular story. But uh, given the amount that he suffered to make Apocalypse, now I don't think it's, it's a, an, an IP that he would uh, talk about flippantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, 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 have you seen the documentary Heart of Darkness? Yeah, about, I have. Oh my God, that just, yeah. every, well, I, I think he I, almost I, lost his mind. I, I and Mar- he almost uh, drove Martin Sheen insane in the, in the process too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, ho- I hope attack. that I hope that the people that work on this game have a uh, <laughs> have a, a much more uh, enjoyable uh, ex- experience on on the game side of things. But uh, well, that'd be yeah. funny is if uh, all of the people in, that were involved in the movie are like, oh, this is worse than the movie, and all the people from the game industry is like, this is actually going pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of I, I I just think that kind of stuff would be amusing. I I wouldn't expect it though. I mean, the location yeah. shooting just changes everything. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, it just they make it clear that they want to make it more of a survival horror thing, and they talk about you know you yeah. have to manage your resources and uh, and uh, stuff. I I am fascinating in, in, to see what might come out of this. Now mm. the Kickstarter seems kind of ambitious. The goal is for nine hundred thousand, and as of recording, it's got nineteen days to go. Yeah, and it's only got one hundred and sixty thousand of its goal, which means yeah. it's probably on pay- for this Kickstarter's on pace to fail. Now, first of all, kind of given what we were saying before, it does look like there was a lot of sort of background work put oh, into yes. this. Oh yes, thousand hours of apparently of pre-production uh, already yeah. apparently, and. Uh, at the same time, I mean, if Francis Ford Coppola really wanted to get this done, you think he can't raise a million dollars? Or I'm pretty sure. Dollars in something. Pretty sure he could yeah. sell a vintage here or there and, <laughs> and manage to get the money yeah. if he really wanted so, to. So, so this is it, they overtly say they don't want to work with a publisher because anyone doing that, they, and you know, 
some of it was kind of the standard stuff, but uh, I wouldn't be stunned if there were some business people who, in the games industry still would say stuff like this of, you know, make it your standard military shooter or license it out as a mobile game, which, you know, I'll defend mobile games. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Apocalypse Now, the mobile game, really doesn't fit unless it's like a Telltale game. Yeah. Or something like that. Uh, yeah, I that, suppose that there's I ways that work. it could work, yeah. but certainly not with what they're trying to do to try to just drag you as a player into those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I I think this game de- deserves the uh the graphical oomph that a a console or a, P- a PC could could give it to be honest. That just and and the, trying to picture this with with simple controls in any other format than a sort of telltale type game would be hard for me to picture but i don't know <laughs> let's yeah. just hope it doesn't end up like that rambo on rails game that came out a few years back that everybody <laughs> loves ragging on so much first blood or whatever it was yeah i i don't think everything that they say and i mean like you said the people involved have a pedigree the things they say seem to hit the right notes and mm. sort of i like the idea of it being a survival horror and not in the general like Taking the survival horrors that are just kind of action games with zombies and monsters in it out of the equation, but more like your first Silent Hill kind of survival horror. I like the idea of you actually start in more control, and as you progress, it just gets worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, As opposed to, say, Silent Hill, when you start, like, you know, you got the fog, you can't see anything, dogs are attacking you from the mist, and you don't know where they're coming from, and... You yeah, know, all that. Stuff. Like you're just like smashed right in the face with you are nothing in this world. Mm. Whereas uh, it sounds like with Apocalypse Now, it's like okay, at first you know you're going into a messed up situation, but you know you can get supply drops, you can pick stuff up from friendly outposts, and all of that. And as you go in, as you get deeper into enemy territory, it's like no, you're getting less and less of this stuff. I suppose you're going to have to like scavenge for things. Mm-hmm. Uh. All of that, it, and just that gradual slippage of control uh, strikes me as, you know, one of the themes in the movie was the gradual loss of civilization or civility, mm-hmm. or, or even the gradual loss of your sanity. You yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see that as a game mechanic. Uh, yeah. Definitely a lot of possibilities there. Yeah, and it, and I, I don't see that as anything like the uh, uh, like Eternal Darkness sanity meter or anything like that. It's not. I mean, it just sort of environmentally, just the situation that you're in gets mm-hmm. worse and worse. Yeah. So it it and I I read up on some of the comments and it sounds like uh, yeah even if they don't make this Kickstarter work that they they've planned for years and years of development. In fact, if you look at it, all their estimated delivery dates are in 2020. So they're not. It, no one should expect yeah. this to turn around anytime soon, but it's definitely a project I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it oh sounds goodness. fascinating. I mean, no, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I hear movie tie-in and game in the same sentence, I generally run screaming for the hills. But this is this is definitely a different uh, a different approach, uh, and 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 they're they're trying to. In the videos and in the Kickstarter content, they're trying to tell you up front that, that, that they're looking at this differently, that this isn't a cash-in. So, And uh, one of the other things I wanted to point out here is uh, um, they and, – and I'll talk with Lorenzo about this when he's on. But uh, a lot of these price tiers, some of them seem really ambitious. Um, like they have one 
$10,000 tier that has one backer. They have uh, an $8,500 tier, tier with zero backers. They have a uh, $4,000 tier with zero backers. They have a 2250 tier with two backers, a 1250 tier with seven backers, uh, $500 with 13 backers, $300 with 39 backers, $225 with 99 backers. And, you know, it's not surprising that the higher you go up, the less, the fewer backers you get. But man, $10,000 is a really high priced tier. Yeah, I, I, can't remember yeah. ever seeing seeing that one one that high in the past for a game anyway yeah. but <laughs> but uh yeah so that's uh pretty crazy you know 20 like you go down to the bottom you get a 25 dollar tier that has 882 backers 35 dollar tier with 724 backers and so forth um but jesus i'd be interested in hearing uh what lorenzo thinks about that price distribution but uh yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I hope it comes out, and I hope I can compare it to Spec Ops the line, and and they both hit, they both speak to the original themes for Heart of Darkness. Yeah, well, which, I mean, which in turn I need to read now. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I actually uh, I almost said book books on tape, but you know what I'm getting at. I actually listened to it <laughs> about a year and a half ago. Uh, to refresh myself on something I hadn't read in, in a long while. So yeah, I, uh, I, th- I think it could be really interesting. I mean, like I said, it's certainly got some talented people working on it, and that's always a good sign. Um, mm. then again, the movie had some talented people working on it, and, and look what it almost did to all its creators. So yeah, I guess we'll see. Well, they got, they got, I, I don't know. We'll, uh, all we can do is wait and see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, I think that about covers it for our end. Uh, thanks for joining me right here, Jeff. Problem. We'll take a brief uh, a brief time out and be back with Lorenzo in a bit. And we are back. And now that we've finished talking with Jeff, unfortunately, I couldn't get everybody together at the same time. But I do have Lorenzo here to talk with me about the same stuff. And since we're going to be covering the same topics, hopefully I won't be repeating myself too much. But Lorenzo, how are you doing tonight? Hey, pretty good. Doing really good. All right. So. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the uh, the GDC survey. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, out of curiosity, did you get the uh, the questionnaire for this one? I know I did, and I, I answered some of this stuff. So when I was looking through this, I was remembering some of the questions. So like, oh yeah, I remember this. And no, I haven't. I didn't. Uh, yeah, I haven't been paying attention to a lot of GDC mail. It gets so spammy. Yeah. So no, if if I got it, I probably missed it and ignored it and didn't fill it out. But um, yeah, it was actually a surprise. It was a nice surprise when people were sending this around the office. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely some interesting stuff here, but, uh, I, I definitely think there is a bit of a, it's, it's definitely not a scientific poll or anything no. like that. It's, it's <laughs> kind of a, got a, a self-selection bias. Like you, you, totally. you know, most of the people come from North America and since it's kind of a North American convention. Yeah, it's, it's definitely North American slanted. 
And it's also what I like to call enthusiasm slanted. So the people who are working on the, on the <laughs> most exciting projects are probably the ones most dedicated in answering. Yeah, you know that, that that's a that's a good observation because uh, Jeff and I were talking about how there there's a whole lot of VR AR questioning going on here. Yes, yes, there is, there is. Uh, that is definitely one of the big things I notice, and you know I have I have some friends who are in. Uh, various parts of the VR uh, industry, as well as, you know, I've touched um, a lot of the VR uh, opportunities myself in different places. Um, and uh, it's a ever-evolving landscape of opportunities, and it's not never quite the same every year. So it's interesting to see what this year's take <laughs> on it is, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's clear that, like, you know, right now VR is, uh, what is it? What was it like? Five times as popular as AR in terms of, um, like what people are developing. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I feel like maybe a year or two ago it was more even, mm. but VR is very, is, has taken off greatly, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah. well, the AR kind of has a, well, I, I, I you know, we, bleh. AR, I think, right now has a massive lead in terms of profitability, considering you can very... It's, it's a very fair thing to say that Pokemon Go is an AR game. Yeah, oh, totally. It totally is. <laughs> it is a very primitive one. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, it's not like uh, one of those nifty uh, PlayStation Vita games with the cards that have stuff pop out of the table yeah. for you. I mean, if like I have that. to say, like, uh, if, if I have to make a prediction, you know, I would say... AR ultimately is going to be the final form that this type of entertainment takes because simply because the way people consume things, they don't want to just deep dive into one world and be trapped in it and have no idea what's going on outside of it. People are multitaskers more than ever. Uh, and AR being able to map onto whatever interface you're already looking at is going to be the most comfortable way to use it. That said, AR is also for, way further behind than VR. And and even VR right now, like it, it can barely keep up with the hardware. It's mainly a hardware issue right now. Mm. Um, uh, in fact, like 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 I, I know they're trying to do VR on mobile. We're trying to do VR on mobile, and it's just it's very difficult. There's literally one device that's even VR compliant um, uh, from from Google, right? Yeah. So I think v, VR is going to be the temporary bridge between. Uh, us now and the AR experience of 10 years from now. Maybe not 10 years from now, but a couple years from now uh, before the big advances are made, right? So so, so you think that uh, maybe it, this is going to be a really esoteric and nerdy joke, and if it uh -huh. goes over everyone's head, I apologize. <laughs> so a little bit. So, so maybe what we can have is with, with the tie-in to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers – you know, get a bit of a throwback spinoff, but with an updated twist, and we can have AR troopers. Oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, sure. We'll let, you, we'll let you go along that way. We'll let you have your joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a whole lot of setup for not much payoff. I'm sorry, but sometimes something shows up in my head. It's so loud, I have to get it out, or it'll drive me crazy. <laughs> Yeah, what you'll see next, though, it will be um, the next generations of VR hardware will be a big leap. Mm -hmm. So right now, as you guys, you know, anyone who's played with VR now knows, like, it's either something really garbage, like, uh, you know, the Google Cardboard or the, the uh, what's the Sony set called? I don't know, the Sony PlayStation set. It's a PlayStation or, VR. Yeah, PlayStation VR or the, or the, or the Samsung. Or you have like the, the high-end Oculus and Vive, but these require a lot of setup. 
Mm-hmm. And this is like back to like fucking, you know, can I curse? Can I curse? Sure. Sorry, uh, back to like we we days, you know, like like all this equipment just to set up to get into the experience is is br- is a brutal, brutally you know high friction point for people to get into the VR experience, mm-hmm. right? Or, or even worse, if you're trying to get onto PC, then you have to buy like a you know well those are actually you know uh, PC experiences. You have to you have to start out with just a rig that can even run the. Yeah. Uh, the VR it has to be VR compliant because you need to hit a certain frame rate. You need to hit certain resolution to even uh, not make people throw up on site. You know? Yeah, and and even then the whole uh, uh, sensory conflict with your uh, uh, kinest, kinesthetic and uh, yes. proprioception and all of that stuff it, it's it screws with you real bad. Or yeah, equilibrioception. I mean, it, ugh. Yeah, I was just reading, doing a lot of reading about this because um, uh, it was interesting. What people were wondering why Resident Evil Seven, had, which just came out, actually has a quite a good VR experience. And it was funny because like they accidentally did a lot of the things that a lot of the research has been saying you should do with VR so people don't throw up uh, in order to keep their, you know, their kinest. I, I don't know the word for it, the scientific word for it, but you know, basically your senses need to match what you see. For instance, you know. Because you're walking around in the dark with a flashlight, you have a very uh, small focal point, and there's actually like um, VR uh, uh, guidelines where like they'll actually like um, create a darkened field of vision, you know, to, to create a, a fake focal point while you're turning your head so oh. that you don't have too much peripheral vision so that you don't get sick. That's actually something they do. Now, and Resident Evil happened to stumble into it because of the the theme of the game, right? Yeah. So. Little things like that help them not get people sick, you know. Um, yeah, it's it. It's not something I ever thought about, it, but it makes a lot of sense that whenever I've had any any sort of motion sickness experience with uh, with any of this stuff, that a lot of it has to do with just how full the peripheral vision is. Right. And how full the peripheral vision, and also like um, and like the you can't have any cognitive. Uh, uh, differentiation between what you see and what you feel. Yeah. So, like, if you move, like, literally in the Oculus guidelines, they tell you not to accelerate people out of, all of a sudden really fast yeah. because you see it, but you don't feel it, and you get what's called reverse motion sickness. M- motion sickness normally is you feel the motion and you don't see anything, so you get sick. This is the opposite, but but you get sick in the same way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I, I've had that same sort of experience in uh, an arcade machine. It was one of those... I think it was the dogfight one. There's also one that's like a Star Wars thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're in this sort of like bubble or or semicircle thing, and it gets projected in front. The game gets projected in front of you, and it fills your field of vision. You do a couple of barrel rolls, you're like, I don't feel right anymore. Yeah, what what I champion, you know, what I champion for my own projects is like, you know, if we're going to do a VR experience, uh, make it more AR like. So you know, put it. Put like for instance, instead of you running around in a first-person perspective in the world in VR mode, uh, put the world in front of somebody as if it was like in the living room, and let them walk around it like it was an object. Then you feel a lot less sick about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like you'll see more stuff like that. The first generation of good VR stuff will be more like that. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, like a virtual chessboard kind of thing, like mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars 4D chess or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, not Star Wars, Star Trek. Yeah, that, it, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it just the concept there, uh, 
takes me a bit back to the first generation of uh, 3D games, in particular, like, the set of, like, early PlayStation 1 games. Mm-hmm. Like, like oh, I've yeah. said it before, I, I once went back and tried to play the old Warhawk game, and I I could not tell what I was looking at. The shading was terrible. The textures were terrible. The textures right. didn't meet each other, so seaming was all over the place. There was bad collision detection on the camera, so you just like fly into a wall, and you're looking. <laughs> yeah, so I you know. I know there's this. all kinds of learning that's still gonna that that'll have to go in for this as a media or a, a platform as well. Yeah, I was gonna say I noticed this in like um like uh, uh like uh the first person shooters now, but they actually have some VR like uh, concepts that they have taken for granted. You know, just playing Doom three the other day to test out my new G-Sync monitor and I noticed like there's a, a lot of a lot of fucking like focal depth and motion blur effects going on right and that, that's actually the stuff that's most noticeable in G-Sync but like I think like a lot of that is because when you have a very fast action game again you need to blur out the peripheral vision so that you you reduce the motion sickness you reduce the sensory overload so you know it's already done in like um, first person shooters already hmm. Um, but I think uh, there's just going to be a, l- a huge learning curve as people try to adapt that to a VR experience while also struggling with like the control schemes. Uh, you know, from my friends who develop uh, VR games, like the control schemes, control schemes are the funniest thing. Like, how does UI work? Is it stuck to your head or is it floating out in space? You know, neither are optimal solutions. It's it's, it's very confusing, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot to learn about. And, and just adapt to, and who knows, maybe it'll wind up being profitable, and maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be... Well, so far it hasn't, right? Yeah, I, mean, I know. Uh, There's just been a whole lot of interest, like you said. It's, was it Carmack or Sweeney who was saying, like, you know, the, the, the top grossing VR game so far only made a million dollars? Oh, man. It's, and, and, yeah, he was just saying, he was just saying it was like the, that industry just being decimated, but it's propped up by a lot of venture capital. That's why you get a lot of like super excited people yeah. working in VR. And the fact that's... that it's, it's taken up so much of the demo floor at GDC for the past like four years. Oh man. It's like, yeah, is exactly. Past four years, what do you have to show for it? Like you only have literally maybe three name games that VR games that people could name. You know, it's pretty bad. One of them's Office Simulator. Office Simulator. I'm thinking the the one with the bomb. Keep talking uh, and nobody explodes. Keep talking. Yeah, keep talking. For, and for which Resident VR Evil. is uh, entirely a uh, a side thing. It's not necessary. Yeah, I just don't see anything you're actually gonna sit in there and play for a long period of time in for a while. Yeah. Um, but you know. Uh, probably the first application will not be a game. I think the first application is more likely to be what Facebook was showing, like a virtual chat, virtual conference room or something. I, yeah. I still think uh, remote control is a really interesting application. What do you mean? Oh, like if you wanted to, I don't know, fly a drone somewhere or oh, yeah. remote surgery yeah. or like scientific and industrial applications, not entertainment. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just started looking at like uh, drone racing. And if, and oh, if, if your listeners haven't seen it, like look up the drone racing tournaments. It's fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. Actually, that, that like yeah. sports, uh, 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 watching sporting events. Or, yes, sporting events. Uh, I, I actually think uh, for for... Uh, uh, be giving <laughs> like I know watching, you and I watching want to see an MMA, MMA <laughs> <in VR. laughs> 
<laughs> That'd be right. nuts. But uh, okay. also uh, uh, esports. Like if you could use that to actually put your own 3D point of view running around like a MOBA map or something. The problem with that, I'll tell you right now, is when that does happen, um, because everybody views the game or the match from a different perspective, mm-hmm. you're going to get very, very strong opinions about whenever there's a controversial decision. <laughs> <laughs> People will consume different, they're consuming a different game. Yeah. Or a different match, you know, when they're watching. Yeah. I, well, I still think it, it's a, it's a, a, a neat possibility. Yes. If there's any VR developers out there listening right now, that is where you need to look at in terms of having a unique VR experience. You need to look at how does the perspective change the narrative, right? Um, I think there's a, I think someone developed a a VR movie recently that was like Oscar nominated or something, but it was like, if that's the kind of thing where like, depending on where you look, you have an entirely different interpretation of what the narrative means. Now, huh. that is a good use of VR. Yeah, something like a, a, a VR-based uh, or point-of-view-based Rashomon. Exactly. Perfect. That's a perfect example. Like, that's what you... That's where you're actually taking advantage of that that VR fact, right? Yeah. So that's something you wouldn't get on just playing um, uh, any normal PC, mm-hmm. PC game flat screen, right? Yeah. yeah, I agree. So, going back to the, uh, the survey... Yeah. <laughs> Was there was there anything else? I, I mean, I got a couple other things that that I think are particularly noteworthy to point out. But was there anything that that really stuck out to you as a point of interest or something that surprised you? Uh, it was not nothing super surprising. Uh, you know, I was a little surprised that, that AR was still holding up percentage wise versus VR. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually dig into VR AR, I was surprised the percent of people reporting that they were still working on HoloLens, which I have not heard anything about. <laughs> I was a little surprised to see the ratio of Vive to Oculus. I would have expected Oculus to be the hot thing, but I guess they've had a lot of controversy, so I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Um, doesn't surprise me that Google, uh, the Google stuff is so low. In fact, I expect it to be much lower. Um, I'm looking through it right now. Yeah, those are the the main thing, and, and at least for the AR VR section, that yeah. was the thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, the um. Let's see. I see the Twitch streaming thing was interesting. <laughs> I that uh, didn't surprise me at all. The the like uh, here, here here's what they say in in order of most effective for discovery of your last completed game promotion on the platform's digital storefront, of course, uh, community fans, social media. That surprised me a little bit. I, I didn't expect that to be so high. Developer social media. Very surprising to me. Traditional press and bloggers, YouTube videos, paid advertising, and then Twitch streamers, which, really? <laughs> um, I think Twitch streamers one of those things, and, and this goes along with esports. It's like one of those things where, yeah, if you get it, that's amazing, but it's hard to build a strategy around an effective, reliable, yeah. high and, and I, I think that kind of goes to show the weakness of the question to a certain extent because this is asking the people what their most effective strategy was and if they're not good at it then no it's not going to be an effective strategy so if they're not product people then then they probably are just talking about what where their most excited fans come from not where the dog and and that's also why i think social media the two social media entries are so high because they're cheap yes right 
and I mean, maybe you do them poorly, but they're they're damn near free. Yeah. Even in terms of time, depending on how you do it. Yeah, if you say like cost effective, then certainly those would probably be up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you mismanage it so much that mostly you make your potential fans angry. Oh yeah, that happens. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> but Twitch streamers, man, I like I don't think that's neither effective nor cost effective because the, the cost of using them has skyrocketed. Um, you, right now, what you really do is you you find like you go to someone else who through a partnership provides you with a stable of Twitch streamers mm. that then um, promote your game through. It's it's more like that. Like the, the actual Twitch streamers. They're not going to listen to you. Like, the actual pockets, <laughs> man, they don't have time for random developers to give them games to play on their stream. They don't... They, that's not their business. Yeah. You know? I, I was a little surprised that paid advertising was so low. Because I would presume that would be, you know... Yeah. Um, that I'm not because I think the people answering the survey are probably not inducted into the black magic of paid advertisement. Mm-hmm. And don't probably don't realize or don't want to... Re- Except the fact that paid advertisement is king, at least in mobile, mm-hmm. it is king of all things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that's what I think. I, I think people just don't want to admit it. Yeah, or they they don't know how to put a, together a good ad or manage a good campaign, and so they don't think it's effective, or it wasn't effective for them. Totally, totally, because it's not like a oh one thing was effective or not. It's more like how did you. How did you uh, optimize your campaign over time, right? It, you can't take a slice of it. You have to look at like what, how did you walk it towards success and how successful that was, right? Um, as opposed to like when you say community fan social media, well, you have a very clear picture in your mind. Oh, the day we went live, you know, we had a big social event and a lot of people came, so it feels very effective, right? <laughs> okay, so moving on, I, I want to ask you this one though. I, mm-hmm. I, like, uh, th- there were two. And I talked with Jeff about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Two questions that had a couple of options on on them that blew me away. First on okay. the consoles that you're currently developing for, people responded that they're still developing for the PlayStation Portable. The PlayStation? What is the PlayStation Portable? The old PSP? The one before the PS Vita? Are you fucking kidding me? PSP? Yeah. 0.4% currently developing games for the PSP. I'm not console savvy enough to know <laughs> what they're doing it for. Is this for like, is there like third world countries that are still heavily market share with PlayStation Portable? I for don't much know. Hand? I really don't know. But, uh, I mean, it could 0.08% be. say they're developing games for the Apple Watch, and I don't even know that one. Jesus. Okay, Apple Watch, that's just nuts. Um <laughs> I have a suspicion that possibly some of these are okay. So there, are, there are a lot of, and I know a few of these, and there, there are a lot of uh, port houses. Mm. Um, and it could be that they're just, uh, they're not really developing. They're there to port uh, other games to other platforms, especially platforms that are not that popular. You mean so, like Android micro consoles, like the Ouya, which is at three percent. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Where's Uya? Uya's on here? Oh my god. No, just Android Oh, I was gonna console, say. <laughs> which, which would include the Uya. Oh, the Uya. What a, what a, I don't understand how people didn't see that was gonna be a huge disaster. <laughs> I, I was telling people at the time, I was like, dude, all you gotta do is look up the LinkedIn page of the CEO and see that, 
like the top three people there, they didn't. They have changed companies every two years. Oh. You know you're gonna be scammed. It's oh. pretty obvious. <laughs> but it's an open platform. Oh, you know, god. like a PC. Oh god. <laughs> and oh, I, I remember their trailer for their their controller and how it was like ultra ergonomic, and they and they brought in the best oh. humanist designers in and i was like ah oh, this is the most ridiculous marketing thing i've ever seen just have it work with a place with a playstation or xbox controller <laughs> but okay but the next one okay uh, which smartphone platforms are you currently making games for two percent said playstation mobile wait what, what where's the oh what Okay. Page five. Android, iOS, PlayStation Mobile. What's PlayStation Mobile? <laughs> I had to define this for Jeff, too. So what? about like five years ago or so uh-huh. uh, and more, there was uh, – actually, do you, do you remember the uh, Xperia Play phone? Vaguely. I know the, yeah. the word sounds familiar, Xperia. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a phone that you can slide it open and it has a D-pad, a, the, the triangle square circle X and LR buttons and even has a couple of touch analog things. So it actually controls a hell of a lot like a PSP. Uh-huh. And this was supposed to be like a Sony-branded mobile platform or standard uh-huh. that uh, actually has officially shut down. Uh, in the past year like it never got a whole lot of traction and it's it's just gone like they wanted to have it be sort of like a a smartphone equivalent to the playstation portable or something like that oh Um, i see interesting and uh yeah it 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 is dead it is completely shut down now and somehow one out of 50 people responding to this question said they're developing for this dead platform so that should tell you, you know, the, the problem with this, like, survey is <laughs> um, my guess is probably between 200 and 300 people answered it, mm. which is sub-significant. Uh, yes. Well, maybe not. It, for, for the range of questions they have, it's sub-significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're literally talking about if there's 300 people, that means there's, like, six people, which means the entire company that got included in, you know, it may be the only company on the planet still making PlayStation Mobile stuff. All six people in that company was like, "Oh, let's answer this and get get ourselves some <laughs> some, some representation." You look on there, it's like, "What the hell's going on?" Maybe like one person reading the survey is going to look into it and maybe buy it. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a methodology problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, on that, they, same... they should be like weighted based on the size of the companies. Like they should. <laughs> They should adjust the weights. Yeah, you get a couple people from EA answering. They should probably get like ten votes. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's an electoral system that needs to happen here. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, something like that. I mean, that's why. Like some of this, like you mentioned, there's a kind of an eagerness uh, factor uh, at play here, and I think some of it is also because there's a whole lot of. I, I think a lot of the people kind of putting effort into the paying attention to the GDC and, and getting invested in answering the stuff for more smaller boutique or indie groups. Right. Uh, because if you're plugging away at EA, you probably don't care. Well, I can tell you like when I was at right. So if you would get worse information from a large company, not, not, not better. Yeah. 
that just doesn't average out that way. These kind of things are very like, oh, here's a survey. I'm going to send it to all my friends, which means my whole department will answer <laughs> and skew all the results in that direction. You know? yeah. uh, so th- another interesting thing on the same page, and I think it's interesting in how noncommittal the answer was, was talking about the mid-cycle console refresh. Do you have a positive yeah. or negative view of it? And the- um, <laughs> I think that's pretty dead on. Nobody, I mean, especially if they're hitting large companies, I can tell you, like, nobody wants to make calls on the next console <laughs> cycle. Like, it's yeah. just a lose business to do it. What you do is you you just, it's like lemmings. Everyone's waiting at the edge for someone to jump before the rest of them follow. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm, I'm surprised how people are so, quote-unquote, positive about the Nintendo Switch. Like, let's see real users use it first, because I don't, I frankly don't understand it at all. I don't understand. Maybe you can explain the hype to me. Explain Explain to me what the buzz is all about. For the Switch? Yeah. With respect to the, the responses in the survey or in general? No, both. Okay. Like, the survey response is very strong, and then the, okay, every okay. article you gotta, I read says the buzz is great. The, the, for the survey response, you got to take the whole thing into context because it was 50% said the Switch will outperform the Wii U, and that's kind of a low bar. So, right. That's true, yeah. <laughs> And the uh, I think the general buzz is, you know, there's if nothing else, there's a nostalgia for Nintendo. It it has been a very influential uh, uh, participant in the video games industry. They're always interesting because they're always going to do things their own way. Yes, uh, it, it's just kind of built in. I think. Uh, Satoru Iwata really ran with that and and really had some success with the Blue Water strategies. Um, And the Wii U was a real big miss for a number of reasons. I think the Wii U was something that could have done better if it had been managed differently. Sure. Um, And people are hoping that with the Switch that Nintendo will be able to bring something else interesting to the table. Something a little disruptive, uh, something that. Well, I don't see what's disruptive about it. The Wii U, I can say, yeah, yeah, it really no. caught the brunt of the whole. Everyone's pivoting away from uh, better hardware console cycles. Like mm-hmm. that, that that's what happened in the in the last eight years. You know, where like better hardware didn't matter anymore because everyone shifted to mobile and social. Right now, it's kind of a making a uh, comeback because of VR. But Wii U got caught right in the middle of it and just got yeah. fucked. Um, with the Switch, it looks like it's a refinement of some of the portability ideas of the Wii U, but without them, you know, making the real sacrifice to say let's go, let's go big on mobile. Yeah. You know, they're still tiptoeing up to mobile and they're trying to. I see them doing exactly what Sega did back in the day. They're still, they still want to be in the hardware business. When if you just released the Nintendo catalog onto mobile, they would be just swimming in money again, right? Mm. So I don't know. I I don't see what it is about the Switch. The, the fans are obviously very rabid. You know, I dared not be excited about Zelda at at work and got screamed at. So. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know. I was like, "Oh, this is the you know worst art direction on the same old kind of game." I'd rather play, uh, you know, some of the old GBA titles on, on DS titles on my mobile. And people looked at me like I was crazy, but I think that's where the money is, personally. 
Yeah, I mean, I to to some extent, I think the hope that it's going to be disruptive is not based on as much as people might want it to be. It, it's just a hope. Um, but it's I, a hope that Nintendo is like it's a nostalgic hope for that company to, to some or, extent. I, I don't think it's based on nothing, but I don't think it's based on very much solid. Uh, I, I would say that in in a more concrete sense, I think that as as a business, they're trying to target people like I can see being attracted to a console that can give you some console experiences and actually be uh, on the go, you know? Sure. And if, this is a big old if, but if you could do something where you can actually treat it like a tablet and just put it to sleep and resume later, uh, uh-huh. uh, just a real quick startup and get right back into the game. Um, I think there's, there's a, a pretty big upside to that possibility. If you I mean, I, 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 I do get that. Yeah. I do see that. So, I just so, don't... Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm looking at it as, it, it as potentially more of a, a life... It's to fit a different lifestyle than it is to offer a significant uh, like hardware uh, option. And, and that's where, you know, to be fair, that's exactly where Nintendo surprised us with uh, the original Wii, where they identified a huge demographic that we had basically ignored. Who cares about that lifestyle of gaming? That we just, we don't, we didn't even know they exist uh, in, in, in the gaming industry. And so they surprised everyone, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I can't even. To, to be honest, from my perspective, I see something that like I would have bought for my kid ten years ago, but now my kid, you know, things have moved so fast. Now my kid will be using a VR compliant uh, tablet, and there is no room in in her life for yet another device. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Ah, uh, so I think that covers most of the. Uh... Most of the interesting responses from the, the survey, there's a few other things, but uh, unless there's something that caught your eye. No, that was, that was, that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the next topic, um, the Apocalypse Now video game Kickstarter, which, oh my goodness, one second. <laughs> I, I think between when I was talking with Jeff and when I'm talking with you now, the uh-huh. amount of money pledged to it has gone down. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm looking at it right now, and it's 160,000. Yeah, it's actually uh, uh, a little me. bit below. It, it was it was above 160,000 when I was talking with Jeff, and it's a little below that now. Wow. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. When so when I looked when I first heard about this, and I and I and I came to the page, I you know I try to be very neutral about it. You know, obviously I'm a huge Coppola fan. I'm a huge Apocalypse Now fan. I'm a huge fan of some of the people on this. T- who are consulting on the team. Josh Sawyer, you know, is one of my heroes. Fergus Ercourt is one of my heroes. These guys, these, you know, and I'm, pil- I'm literally playing like Pillars of Eternity right now. So, <laughs> like, um, and Gears of War, the writer, I think, is from Gears of War and Fallout New Vegas or something. Um, Wasteland 2, like, all these are, like, speaking directly to my heart. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I've been, I was very um, careful about getting too excited about it and 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 yeah, there's just not a, mo- a lot of money pouring into it. 160,000 is not a lot with 19 days to go. Yeah. And 
and today for the first time I went through their pitch, uh, their Kickstarter pitch, and it just comes off, it comes off very, very wrong. It's clearly not done by someone who's, ex- by people who are experienced doing Kickstarter campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, one of the things that that struck me is like the only place I heard about this was uh, a couple of articles shortly after it started, mm-hmm. and there has been like no discussion or buzz about it after that. So I mean, just as a Kickstarter campaign, I'm I'm not sure how well run it is. Um, yeah, it's pretty poorly run. Yeah, as, as a project, you know, they created their own LLC company to develop this game and despite being surrounded by very impressive people the actual development team we know nothing about mm-hmm. and if they're created specifically for this project it means they have they have never worked together have never uh you know they've never gone through the trial by fire they're unproven mm-hmm. so i don't think coppola knows what he's getting into here and when I listened to his like manifesto about this game, he was already jumping into the, you know, the game industry is run like Hollywood, and you know I'm here to to, to counter the system, and you know he's he's the rebel in the system already. But like, dude, <laughs> I, I've been in film, I worked in film when I first got to college. Film is a lot fucking easier to make, than <laughs> games, okay? Way fucking easier to make than games. I don't think he, he. It's not like one dude with a camera can go out there and make a hit. Right. Um, I say that, but like, obviously, there's the flappy birds out there. But, yeah. but you know what I mean. Like, the complexity mm-hmm. is much, much higher. The competition is much, much higher. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I, I, if I was an investor, I would not invest in this. Mm-hmm. I would not have a lot of confidence in this. Yeah. I, well, I, at the same time, I mean, if you're going to compare it to Apocalypse Now, I mean, that is a movie that, you know. I don't think any studio would have wanted to invest it in, certainly given the way it turned That's out. That's a fair. That's you know, a fair. So I I, I, I get the feeling that uh, the Kickstarter and nine hundred thousand is a real high goal for most Kickstarters, uh, and their their reward tiers are kind of wild. They go up to ten thousand dollars. $10,000, I wouldn't call it wild. There's a couple games that, there's a fair amount of games that do that. Really? But, Interesting. But when I just look, when I look down the campaign information, it just like, you know, it starts out with a trailer and then a very like, kind of toxic, like, uh, manifesto about what this game is about. And at, by the end of it, you still don't have any idea what this game is about. I don't think they know what it is about. <laughs> well, I really don't. You know? I, you know um, as They're a, just here to say, we're doing it different. You know, mm. different how. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I did, I, I can buy into and understand the statement of, you know, a, a or rather, let me rephrase that. I would believe it if they, as they said in the videos that, uh, mm. you know, the, the, you know, being in conversation with a publisher, they want to turn it into your standard military shooter or they mm-hmm. get advice to license it out and, and make it a mobile game. And I, you know, I de- I'll defend mobile all the time. And as I told Jeff, the only way I could see that work is if it was something like a telltale game, uh, yeah. for, for apocalypse mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. So I, I can kind of believe that, and I, I do. As for the game itself, there there is enough information there to, I don't know, 
whet the appetite. Like, it's it's not a whole lot to go on, but they talk about, okay, this is not going to be a Twitch game. It's not going to be your, you know, one-man army military shooter kind of thing. It's going to be more survival horror. You're going to have to manage your resources. The farther you go into the enemy territory, the more difficult it is going to be to get your resources. It's psychological yeah. horror. Yeah, I get it. And, and that is... That is enough to get me intrigued that they're trying to take something into an interesting direction. Enough that I do hope that whatever the, the fate of this Kickstarter is, that they um, are able to make a product in the end. Uh, I am particularly interested in seeing if they make an Apocalypse Now video game, how mm-hmm. would that compare not just in quality, because, you know, maybe this will come out and be buggy, but be a fascinating uh, experience. But in terms of that experience, how would it compare to Spec Ops The Line, which was also based on Heart of Darkness? Mm-hmm. I haven't played I haven't played that, but it's interesting that you said, uh, like, a Telltale game is one way to capture that kind of psychological horror. And I was thinking about this, like, what kind of games do we know exist that could be directions for them to strive for. Yes, I think the telltale approach is one. That's but that's very directed and less interactive. Yes. yes I think there's the, I think there's the uh the the battle arena type of thing that's happening right now where you get extremely organic uh behaviors. Um like like uh what's that? Like uh Ark and Conan and 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 H one Z one, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, I think, is like a, a more roguelike approach where you create a world where, you, you know, anything is anything is possible and doable. Uh, any kind of um, organic thing can happen, you know. Um, so those three are the kinds of approaches, but it doesn't sound like they are doing that. No, I think... It still no, sounds I, like decision trees to me. Yeah, well, I think what they're trying... I think what they're hoping for is to have a more cultivative, cultivated uh, uh, narrative line or story to, to go with this. But how you traverse that is uh, particular. And it sounds like the further along you get, the more chaotic things will get. So you might have more random. I don't know if you want to call it procedurally generated, but because uh, uh, I don't know if the maps will change or anything. But uh, more random events, more catastrophe that can happen to you. Uh, I I see that as like a okay. So I'm as a huge roguelike player. Um, there's a reason why the depth of roguelikes, the true roguelikes, has never been translated to a triple A game scale. Because when you're talking about that much content, that much organic uh, possibility, you just simply cannot support it at a visual level. Uh, and that's why most roguelikes, they're just like text-based, you know, or mm-hmm. text characters, right? Like, for instance, a good example is like every, uh, every, almost every, you know, Cthulhu Lovecraftian game that tries to do insanity has pretty much sucked. You know, they, uh, insanity is just a meter of, for which it hits a random set of X, uh, you know, uh, illusions that happen, visual illusions that happen, as opposed to if you've ever played like, you know, it, uh, Infra Arcana, you know, something that's like a, a, a Lovecraftian roguelike where they don't have to worry about graphics. So everything is about how the interaction literally changes, how the world changes, how rules, universal rules change. 
um, like that's the only way to really capture the Lovecraftian feel. I think they're in the same boat here. Like if you really want to capture horror, the horror of Vietnam, which is essentially a horror of of perspective, it's going to be very very difficult to do that on a on you know in a in a in a way that doesn't bankrupt you. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it can't be done, but um, it's actually funny that they mention. Oh, this is not Call of Duty Vietnam. Guess what? They Call of Duty uh, uh, was supposed to have a Apocalypse Now esque Vietnam game. Maybe that's what they're referencing. Maybe they literally knew about that. But they were trying to do Sledgehammer, I believe, was the studio that was trying to build a Vietnam horror version of Call of Duty. Never happened. You know, with that big of a team, that much money, you know, uh, Activision's Infinite Pockets, they still couldn't build it. It's very, very hard to scale up. Um, surrealism, <laughs> surrealism in choice of that level to a AAA title, right? Yeah, um, like you said, man, it, the games is really, really difficult. <laughs> really, really difficult, and you're talking about something where like it's com- it, you're given the opportunity to be extremely subjective and nonlinear, and yet it all has to pay off in the end. Mm-hmm. And how do you rectify that? Um, that's one thing I would say as a film director. I don't think. Coppola, being a genius that he is, really understands yet. Uh, he'll face that as they develop this game, but <laughs> they well, couldn't even get, it, look, look, read through it. They couldn't even give us uh, one example, you know, one case of, of to, to show off what the system would be like, would be like. Yeah. That's how difficult it is. Yeah. And, you know, another thing I've, I've seen referred to as kind of a litmus test for the quality of a, uh, a Kickstarter is just the risks and challenges section, which. Uh, oh, where is it? It's at the bottom of the campaign page. Risk and challenges. Okay, I'm looking at. It. Yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah, it's a lot of the stuff here is is pretty generic. They don't point out like, oh, we're using this engine. They they don't get in, or, or we're making our own engine, and that's a big risk. Or they they don't talk about uh, uh, any, I don't know, partnerships or technical problems or like. Here's the system that we're trying to implement, and that can be difficult or whatever. Yeah, like, okay, when I read, like, this line in particular bothers me. When I read something that says, American Zotrope has, the, uh, you know, has already spent several thousand man hours in pre-production. Like, that's a meaningless thing to say. That, mm-hmm. that if they, if they even have a tiny percent of them that feel that that's an important thing to include here, then they are sadly on a very, very bad path because, <laughs> That's a that's a utterly trivial and even dangerous line of thinking. Mm. That 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 kind of pre-production matters at all, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, and even then, depending on the size of your team, uh, uh, thousands of hours may not even beat all that much. Yeah. That said, though, look again, Josh Sawyer, Montgomery Marklin. Uh, I don't know who Lawrence Liberty is. Uh, Rob Alton, that's the writer. Like these are big names, and then of course Coppola himself. Like these are big names. So mm-hmm. <laughs> can they pull it together? I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, like, if Coppola really wants this to happen, uh, and I, I, I would imagine that if he really, really wants this to happen, that he can make it happen. Um, I mean, he does have a lot of money, but I, I don't know how much money he has. Yeah, well... This, to me, is probably a... I want to say a, like, 
50 to 80 million dollar project hmm. you know not not including marketing I, I i was actually looking up some of their other stuff and i think their long-term plan was uh it was for this to be a five million dollar project five million dude there are like mobile games that are double triple that so i don't know dude that's <laughs> i don't think that's attached to reality I like how in the the ten thousand dollar pledge that you get invited to the rap party in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just checking the con uh, the the uh, comments here, and one of them is I like this project, but two point five million is way too much for a console port. Oh my god! Wait, wait a console port? Yeah, it's one of the the stretch goals, I think. Uh, two point five million. Uh, it depends. Yeah. Not necessarily. It could be right, but still, like. They shouldn't even be talking about console port at this point. What what platform is this supposed to be? I think PC. Oh, okay, yeah, it's got to be a PC game, which means your market's going to be quite small. Mm. <laughs> well, the, is, the, the other is... thing here is that their their timeline doesn't seem to be uh, irresponsible because all of them list is uh, estimated delivery October 2020. So. October 2020, so three years, and they just finished uh, pre-production. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's a five million dollar project. What the what what the hell? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, here it is. Here it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I see 2020. I see it yeah. now. Uh, at the, at the bottom of the uh, backer missions. Uh, First, we ask you to support here on Kickstarter, and then after the first 30 days here, ApocalypseNow.com, which will be both a long-running, ongoing crowdfunding campaign to raise additional an additional $5 million, but also a site where uh, we will provide entertainment throughout the course of development. So I think $5 million isn't the production budget, but what they're hoping to raise independently. Uh Okay, so that, okay, so, oh, you know, you know what it could be is that they need to raise, um, if they can raise 900,000, if they can raise whatever the Kickstarter goal is, they will use that as proof that there's interest in this game and then they go, then they can go pitch and go, uh, try to get more money for it. Mm, that might be it. I mean, that's, I think that's probably pretty standard Hollywood way of like getting more money for your game. Mm-hmm. But there's no way, obviously 900,000, there's no way that's going to finish the game. Oh, no, 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 no. And then you tack on like however much money that Coppola's willing to throw into it, um, whatever venture they have, I don't know. But I, five million? No way. I don't think I've even worked on a five million dollar game. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't worked on big titles either. I don't think I've even worked on something that was five million or less. There's no way. Where'd you get that number? Uh, it was it was right here at the bottom of that uh, uh, backer missions section on the campaign. It's right before a message from Francis Ford Coppola. It says five million. What? Man. Uh, okay. Here, yeah, I'm looking at. We'll raise an additional five million. What? Oh man, that's just crazy to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if it was that much, even plus like double that from venture, it would nowhere be, in my opinion, would not be anywhere near enough. Yeah. Which, which in turn, and and I'm hardly a connoisseur of Kickstarters, but that kind of detail, you would think would would fit pretty well 
to, to explain why you need the Kickstarter in the first place. What do you mean? Well, like, like, what exactly is your business plan? What's your total budget that you? <laughs> yeah, right. Why, if if your budget is ninety, why do you need five from us? Uh, and that's why I, I think um, I can never remember the name of it. Uh, the, but the the project from the guy who made Castlevania, like uh. that one was pretty much done, and the Kickstarter was to fund extra levels and extra content. And, yeah, like, get a physical yeah. release going. That, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's one he explained. That's the proper way to do uh, the Kickstarter. Typically, it's like you're already uh, almost done or, or or you're super proven. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But you're almost done and you just need money to get it across the finish line. What they've shown here is just some screen in-game screenshots, which mean nothing. Again, like, this is one of those smoke and mirrors type of things. Uh, in-game well, screenshots. Squad. <laughs> so with with everything we've talked about here so far, uh, when I was talking with Jeff, one of the things that he thought of when he first saw this was apparently Francis Ford Coppola is a bit of a, a, a prankster and mm-hmm. uh, uh, suggested that maybe this is an elaborate prank. Uh, it could be a way to like uh, uh, help raise money for his for his second, I don't know, a sequel to Apocalypse Now. He's going to say, oh, this didn't didn't work, but I'm going to roll this money into a new movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what he's going to do with this? I just did the quick math here. You know, five, uh, three years, five million, uh, That and let's pretend you have, like, a crew of 40 people. That means you're, you have, you know, you're, you're paying them at a rate of, like, 42,000 42, a year. Like, you're not going to get anyone... To work at that, mm-hmm. like your burn rate is 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 too high. Your, your burn rate is more than double too high uh, to do something like this. So, yeah, impossible, impossible based on the numbers I see. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm saying is is those are the numbers we see. Maybe there's numbers we don't see that make it make make more sense or less nonsense. I don't know. Maybe his uh, vineyard's doing really well and he's like using the money for. <laughs> Funding with Pinot Noir, who knows? <laughs> oh, nothing says, if that, nothing if that says true, Vietnam though, like a good Chardonnay. But see, you know, if that was true, though, you would include that in your Kickstarter. You would say, hey, we're already like 80% funded. Yeah. Right? You want to give people confidence about it. Yeah. And, then, right. and again, that's what I was saying. Like, maybe there's numbers we don't see that make it make more sense. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> Or maybe they will struggle through and actually make it, and uh, in doing so, will go through what they went through with Apocalypse Now, their yep. own personal hells. Which which, <laughs> which might, in turn, make it awesome. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. A work of insanity comes out of the other end three years later. Yeah. Sure. Play it. I'm going to love it. That's going to be awesome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I... Yeah, I I just I, I hope something comes out of it that we can actually see and play and what have you. I'm not holding my breath, but I can hope. But absolutely, a part of me wants to see better psychological horror games um, in in video games, and you know it's it's a genre that's in its infantile state even in film. Most horror movies are just jump scare crap fests. Um, and, you know, games are even further behind. But I think games ultimately have greater potential for manipulating your psychological state. So, oh, yeah. you know, this is a... If he, if anyone can do it, Coppola could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would be excited about it. Yeah, it's also, it's also interesting on another level of 
what happens if you get a renowned filmmaker making a game? What what comes out the other end? You know, right. with, with people who know games, you get a, a filmmaker's creative direction. Yes, right. Aided and refined by experienced game makers. What, well, what on top of that, that, an auteur like Coppola, yeah, and that could make all the difference. And I feel like you know, in Japan, we get all these interesting games because there effectively is an auteur director culture that we don't have here in the states, right? Yeah. Um, and but uh, speaking of which, I just want to quickly pitch. Um, everyone out there who's listening, if you're interested in a great psychological horror game, I just played one called Franbo, F-R-A-N-B-O-W. It's an awesome game made by just two people, um, and it's like some of the best like psychological horror in in, in a tiny package possible. So it's hmm. totally doable, you know, if you given the the creativity. Um, just as long as you set your ambitions to something that's actually achievable software-wise, yeah, I think is the trap here. Yeah. Ah, uh, all right. Well, I, I think that about covers our thoughts on this one. Cool. So, so, at the risk of taking you off guard, like I do with so many of my <laughs> guests, uh, do you have any interesting uh, war story anecdotes you might like to share? You definitely had a doozy last time. Uh gosh, what I what I, I talk about last time I totally your forgot. April Fool's prank. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, I, I I wish I'd been more prepared. I would have thought of something. Uh, but that's all right. I I got one. I got yeah, one. All right, you go. So um at our at, at at an office I worked at years ago, we had you know obviously office chairs. These office chairs had um. They were one of the kinds that you can hit a lever and you can rock it back and forth. Now, the interesting things about these chairs is, one, those springs that would put it back up were really, really, really strong. And two, uh, they uh, – all the way forward, the back of the chair was actually past vertical. Like it would lean into you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there was a point where – we would kind of play around by kind of sneaking up on each other and, and you kind of snake your foot over under the other guy's chair and you hit the, the release trigger and snap it forward on him. <laughs> yeah. This one, uh, uh, kind of kept going until one guy, uh, had, someone triggered this while, while he was leaning forward and it almost uh-huh. launched his face, it launched his teeth into the corner of his desk. Oh man! Nothing happened, thankfully, but it was close enough that we're like, okay, nope, nope, we're not playing that anymore. <laughs> we don't play that game anymore. I but, might have to ask yet, you offline what this chair is. I kind of want one. This uh, I I don't know, and I don't know if I can find it. But uh, <laughs> uh, but the 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 funny thing is, the the lever was also in such a point where if you tucked your leg under your chair. Uh, and you kind of rotated slightly, you could accidentally hit it without realizing it and kind of launch yourself forward. <laughs> and of course, after, after this event that made us not play that game anymore, when, whenever people would do that to themselves, there would be at least two or three people would say, we don't play that game anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, except that if you're uh, playing solo there <laughs> and you launch yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right then. Well, 
think that about does it for us this week. Uh, I'd like to thank Jeff again for joining us, and thank you, Lorenzo. Yep. Uh, so, me. Sorry, what? Thank you for having me. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Um, so, if there's anything anyone out there would like to see me write about on the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always feel free to get in touch with me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K Y N E T Y K at enthusiacs.com. See y'all next time. Everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. So just to repeat what I just said, so it's now being recorded, the thought that I had that I wanted to talk about when we were on the topic, but it slipped my mind and it just came back is we were talking about if a high level or a high level director comes into games. That's the question. Kind of like the question of what would happen if a high level boxer came into MMA. Floyd Mather, Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mather, Conor McGregor. That's what would happen.